This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. As streaming platforms continue to be an everyday part of our lives, new research shows that Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander audiences watch significantly more streaming content than the general population. But how well are these communities represented in the shows and movies available on Netflix and other streaming giants? So joining us now to discuss is Patricia Ratulangi, Vice President of Global Communications for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Nielsen. Hey, Pat. Welcome. Hi, Sasha. Nice to meet you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm really excited to talk about this with you. I know that Nielsen just published its annual report on Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander audiences. So I want you to start by giving us some background on what the report looks at and why it's a part of the work that Nielsen does. Thanks so much for that great question. So the report is part of a series that we have called the Diverse Intelligence Series. We started about a decade ago where we realized that we needed to make sure that we are also measuring audiences by the diverse identity groups that makes up the, the fabric of American life. Yeah. And um, the purpose of the report is primarily to show how the diverse audiences are, um, are, are coming in as an audience, but also what is being represented about those diverse audiences. So representation on screen by the percentages of the people you see is an important aspect, but the stories that are being told and the quality of that representation is also important. And then the other aspect also is looking at um, across all of the media platforms that are being watched by Americans today, Who's watching those programs where there are Asians represented Mm -hmm. versus who's not watching them? So why are Asian Americans, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders, why why are they spending most of their TV time on streaming platforms? So streaming, as you know, has been booming in the last few years. Um, In fact, across all of the U.S., um, as of last fall, streaming populations, streaming audiences has grown above broadcast and cable. And um, I would say that the reason for that is because of the plethora of choices that are available. You pick what you want. You pick um, the show that you like. You pick the people that you like. And Mm -hmm. for Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander um, groups in particular, um, you know, the things that we've discovered about what their preferences are and why they are going to shows are two very important things. Faces and places. Yes. You know? The majority of Asian populations and audiences are saying to us that the most engaging platforms and the most engaging shows are where they see places that are familiar and people like me. And guess what provides that? Streaming. Um, and that's mm-hmm. where you make the choice to go pick the shows that you want to watch versus on broadcast and cable, which is what we call linear programming or appointment viewing. Yeah, dig more into that for me. How well are these communities represented in the streaming programs versus... Uh, comparing it to broadcast or cable shows? Yeah, so our our Gracial Inclusion Analytics tool, which measures the share of screen off of the different diverse groups that we have out there, compares the representation of people on the different programs and and compares them to the relative um, parity of the population in real life. So Asian Americans represent about 6% of the U.S. population, and we're finding that streaming is the only one that has uh, met and gone above that, where at, in 2022, that was at about 10% oh, okay. of all streaming programs. Um, we're also able to dig a little bit deeper into the subgroups within the Asian population, i.e. South Asians, Southeast Asians, and East Asians. And um, while um, they've been underrepresented for the most part, there's been some great progress with Southeast Asians over the last last uh, year between 21 and 22. So not all of these groups are represented equally. Correct. It sounds like. Compared to their representation in the U.S. population. Yes. So 
to your point a moment ago, you said we are making some progress, though, right, in, in representing Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders when it comes to TV and film. But, but how accurate is the representation? Because representation is yeah. one thing, but are they getting it right? Yeah, so we also did a separate survey that um, asked our Asian population how they felt about that, exactly to your point, Sasha. Um, and we found that 79% of Asians were more likely to say that they felt underrepresented and twice more likely than the general population to say that even when that representation was seen, that it was inaccurate. Mm. So while the numbers in terms of how much is being seen, the quality of the stories are still lacking, and there is an opportunity for us to close that gap. Do, what, give us some specifics. What did they say is inaccurate? So I think it's the nuances, right? Um, you know, for example, um, when you come, when you see somebody who is in a show, right? Is that is that somebody somebody really reflecting the lived experiences that we are mm-hmm. a part of? So um, when you look at the programs that are in the most watched programming across all of America, right? We know that they tend to fall um, in broadcast and cable, for example, right? And they tend to be shows that are police procedurals, medical dramas, and when you think about those types of shows. And the Asians that are pres- present in them, mm-hmm. who are they? The doctors. They're the doctor. The yeah. FBI analysts, right? And that kind of feeds what America thinks of and, and misperceives about Asians being the model minority. And that doesn't go very far into breaking that model minority myth. Interesting. As opposed to, of course, we can't go without talking about everything everywhere all at once, right? And Brilliant, Mich- brilliant ex- film. Exactly. And Michelle Yeoh herself has said that the reason why she was so excited about that script when she first came across her table was that it really represented all of who she can be at all of who she is, um, and it, in terms of storytelling about the Asian American experience, uh, an immigrant family struggling with a small business, trying to navigate what it means to be a mom, and um, ha- helping her child to stay true to her cultural roots and cultural expectations, all of that isn't seen as much. I feel like that's the plot line for so many programs available right now. Exactly, and I would say that it's also a plot line that is the storyline of so many Americans across the board. Right. And if that was seen more <laughs> to all of us audiences here in America, mm-hmm. that would go a tremendous way into changing people's perceptions and breaking bias because then people start to see, you're just like me. Your story is just like mine. Yeah. Let's talk more about some some stories, uh, some films, some shows that are, are helping bring a more nuanced look at, at storytelling. So you mentioned everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, I know another personal favorite of yours is The Chair. On Netflix. Yes, exactly. Why? Yeah. So Sandra O oh has always been a, a big favorite of mine as well. And, um, you know, she, she's got um, in the chair itself, she's got that kind of white collar role, right? Um, but it also brings in some of the nuances of her experiences in terms of like, she's a female in an academic setting and we don't really see again too much of that and how does she navigate through all of that in terms of how she's expected to lead the way mm-hmm. in her field expected to help teach and bring up the next generation and you know and you know just the denouement of all of that um, in being a female leader in academics that was just such a tremendous um, again inspiration for me to see that someone like her could be successful in a role that I frequently aspired to be honorable mention for squid game uh, yes, instant hit that had, I mean, my entire household was just captured for, <laughs> I think we, we, we did it all in a weekend. <laughs> I know, right? See, binge watching and, and l- remind me to come back to that again. Okay. But, you know, so personally, Squid Game was a little scary for me to watch um, because I'd heard about how violent it was. Yeah, I agree. It took me, it took me a few weekends, but then once I did get in, I, I was Yeah, because the, 
the humanity behind it, the way people really connected um, across their differences, across, you know, age groups, Mm -hmm. um, that one South Asian actor who was in it, right? Um, It's the human storytelling. It had nothing to do with the fact that they were Asian at all. Yes, exactly. Could have been anybody. And I think that's the reason why it topped the streaming charts across all of the U.S. in 2021, because unless everyone was leaning into it, everyone um, was watching it, and the storyline resonated with everyone across the board, it wouldn't have made that top streaming show. Here's my reminder to go back to binge watching. What do you want to say about that? Okay, yes, thank you. Um, one of the things that we're trying to do here also is to provide some measurement for the media in- industry, right? Because uh, media industry just has that opportunity to shape perceptions and change um, bias, right? And we wanted to be able to provide the data to show why it was, why it is, mm-hmm. that it's important to have Asian inclusive content, bringing shows where there is Asian representation and, and also good quality Asian representation. So one of the big um, hot topics Topics here is like you mentioned your family binge watching in one yes. one go, right? The eyeballs that are staying on these shows. So we've we've got a score called the bingeability score, which basically measures the number of times the viewer is watching um, that the series of episodes for that one program in any given day. So any score that's three or above is considered bingeable and highly bingeable. Yes. Yeah. So we looked at um, the shows that have good Asian representation um, and also compared them with the bingeability score. So mm-hmm. the number one um, show that we came across in 2022 was The Summer I Turned Pretty um, on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. And it's a little bit less lesser known. Um, and, you know, it had 62% Asian American share screen um, and a high bingeability score that was close to seven. Wow, that's a high number. So it's, it's tremendous. Um, and, you know, that just goes to show you that when there is Asian representation on a show, it is highly bingeable. The story shouldn't be overlooked. And it also attracts not just the Asian audience, but all other audiences as well. Hmm. Netflix recently announced that it's investing $1.9 billion this year on local content production in the Asia Pacific region. What does that tell you? Um, that they're paying attention to the fact that Asian Americans are no longer a monolith, that we are a very diverse group in this country. We come from. T- 20 plus countries around the world. The fact that that content is going to come from those home countries Mm -hmm. makes me go, yay! (laughs) Yeah. Finally. Um, It it made me go yay too, but at the same time, I remembered uh, not too long ago, Netflix laying off dozens of workers who helped run the the company's publishing channels, right? That includes Netflix's Golden, right? That's the social media channel that celebrates the Asian diaspora. I have a friend who worked for them as well. She was part of the layoffs, unfortunately. Uh, How important, Pat, would you say it is to have Asian and Pacific Islander representation in marketing and content creation as well? Um, it's very important because um, I myself, as a communicator who is Asian, right, we are, I feel that responsibility and accountability for making sure that we are continuing to amplify Asian voices in all that we do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we can't do it alone, though, right? It's a, it's an, it's an ecosystem. It's the media. It's the marketers. Alongside the advocacy groups such as Goldhouse, who's been our collaborator with us on this particular report that we just released this year. And they're a group that um, really focuses on amplifying funding and um, advocating for Asian voices in media and entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to surround ourselves and each other and support each other and lift up each other when it comes to making sure that our voices and our um, people are being seen and valued. So to that end, given all that we've discussed, are you optimistic that 
Hollywood and, and media companies that they're going to take note of the value of Asian American, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander audiences and, and stories? I want to say yes, definitely. Um, the one thing I would say, though, is that just taking a step back as I was um, you know, getting ready to launch this report alongside um, my fellow community members, we, we were just reflecting about how this almost this duality of when we are seeing ourselves. In the last few years, there's been a lot of news stories and headlines about attacks against Asians. So there's a lot of trauma around that. Mm-hmm. And then this year, earlier this year, too, with the success of um, Asian Americans with, in media around everything, every all at once, some of the other big wins during the TV award seasons, triumph, right? Somewhere between the stories about trauma, somewhere between um, the other end of the spectrum around triumphs, there needs to be a continuing coverage. There needs to be continuing storytelling about Asian Americans. Every day, everyday lives. Exactly. And how we are part of and a critical portion of the fabric of American life. That's Patricia Ratulangi, Vice President of Global Communications for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at Nielsen. Thank you so much, Pat. Thank you so much, Sasha.